We are going to uh, invite Mark Stein to speak now as you finish the Princeton Club's uh, delicious lunch. And uh, there will be a brief time for questions afterwards. I, I don't think actually any introduction to Mark Stein is necessary to most of the people in the room. But I will just say that his, on his website, you'll notice that it says uh, that he is a one-man global content provider. Um, this is not an understatement. Uh, uh, he, he really is a, a remarkably prolific and remarkably insightful and remarkably funny writer and speaker, as you will, as you will see. Um, uh, I was very distressed some several weeks ago uh, when the news broke that, that uh, Mark is being, uh, I'm not sure if sued is exactly the right word, but at least that he has attracted the attention of the Human Rights Commission uh, in Canada. I suppose that's a, that's a, a, a euphemism more like... Uh, a democratic republic of, of whatever, China or whatever. Um, but I'm proud to say that, um, that uh, the book for which Mark was, uh, uh, is being hauled up before this commission, that the, the germ of it was first published in the new criterion under the title, It's the Demography Stupid. Uh, I don't know how many, how many subscribers we have in Canada or indeed whether the new criterion is even legal in Canada. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it is my great pleasure and honor, indeed, to, uh, to welcome Mark Stein. Thank you, Thank you very much, uh, Roger. It's a, a pleasure to be here. I had, indeed, forgotten that my flagrantly Islamophobic hate crime book did, in fact, originate in the pages of your magazine. I'll... I'll be passing that on uh, to the Canadian Islamic Congress, and uh, I'm, you're sure to hear from them before the, uh, before the end of the day. Uh, thank you very much. It is uh, an honor to be here uh, with so many uh, people I greatly admire, uh, Rachel uh, Ehrenfeld and uh, my uh, comrade in arms from our struggle up north, uh, Ezra Levant. <clears throat> Ezra's, uh, Ezra's Canadian, and uh, he doesn't often get the chance to be in, in the land of the First Amendment down here. And he, he was asking me about what the difference was. And, uh, and I explained to him that uh, down in, in south of the border, uh, Senator Larry Craig's lawyer has filed a brief arguing that the senator's hand gestures under the bathroom stall divider are constitutionally protected speech under the First Amendment. <laughs> so uh, Ezra thinks this is great. And he's going to go back uh, up to Alberta, and from now on, he's going to hit on uh, imams in bathrooms, and he won't have any leader. It's a lot safer. Um, uh, I, I, feel, I feel a bit like uh, giving a version of the uh, famous Churchill speech in Fulton, Missouri, about the maple curtain descending across the 49th parallel. Uh, it, it, is, it isn't quite that bad, um, but, uh, but if you do uh, see any, anybody who looks like a Mountie uh, coming in, they, they're usually on dog sled, but let us know. Ezra and I want a two-minute head start running down Fifth Avenue. Um, I'd, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to start with a bit of, uh, of good news, bad news for me personally. Um, as you know, the, the Roger was mentioning, the Canadian Islamic Congress complained about an excerpt from my book, America Alone, published in Maclean's magazine. Uh, they took the complaint to uh, three of these human rights commissions uh, that they have up north. Uh, so I was facing three trials up there before the Canadian Human Rights Commission, the British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal, and the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Uh, we all know, we all know 
that double jeopardy is a big no-no, uh, but uh, triple jeopardy is apparently fine and dandy. So I was facing three different trials uh, for the same crime. Yesterday, the Ontario Human Rights Commission uh, announced belatedly that they decided not to hear the case. Uh, they, they've had, since it, was, uh, since it was revealed that they were considering ha- hauling me into court uh, for a, an excerpt that was published in Canada's best-selling news magazine from a book that was a number one bestseller in Canada. Uh, they've had the worst four months publicity in their e- existence, and they like to just go back to tormenting no-name losers in basements, which has been quite a lucrative racket for them. So they decided, in effect, uh, that they'd had enough and to quit while they were behind. That's the good news. <laughs> Uh, the bad news is they decided to issue a verdict anyway, uh, while, while recognising that they, they had no right to proceed with the case, they nevertheless declared my article and my magazine to be racist and Islamophobic and, quote, strongly condemned it. Um, over the years, I've written in newspapers and magazines uh, in dozens of countries and have attracted my share of uh, legal attention. Uh, but yesterday was a first for me. The Ontario Human Rights Commission having concluded that they couldn't withstand the heat of a trial, decided to cut to the chase and give us a drive-through conviction. Uh, If I'm charged with holding up a liquor store, I enjoy the right to the presumption of innocence and to defend myself in court. Uh, But when... No, no, no. I'm glad we've got a couple of liquor store holder-uppers in the room. (laughs) That's my next crusade. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) Uh... But you, but, you know, that is, that is the deal. I would have more rights holding up a liquor store. But when it comes to so-called Islamophobia, a word which was only invented a few years ago and which enjoys no legal definition, all the centuries-old safeguards of English common law go out the window. Uh, so I've written to the Minister of Justice in Ontario uh, asking why the Commission made a determination of guilt in a case that not only did they decide not to hear, but which is ongoing before two other courts. Anyway, yesterday on the radio I was asked why I was bothering to defend myself. Uh, The host said, uh, well, you live in the United States, nobody's going to extradite you, why not just write off Canada? Uh, Here's my self-interested answer. I write books. If I go to my American publisher and say, I want to write a book, and she listens to my precy and then figures, well, we won't be able to sell it in Canada, so there goes 10% of the North American market... And we won't be able to license a British edition because some big-shot Saudi prince will sue in a London court. And we won't be able to sell French and German translation rights because it runs afoul of European Union xenophobia legislation. And to be honest, we're we're not even sure about Malaysia because with the internet now, all it takes is for Amazon.com to sell four copies to customers in Malaysia and some Malaysian judge will rule it falls within his jurisdiction. Well, pretty soon your little book is uh, looking a lot less commercially viable. So it's easy to say write off Canada, write off Britain, Europe, Australia, but at the end of the day there'll be a lot of American authors affected by this and a lot of American books that will go unpublished here in America. And Rachel Ehrenfeld and the authors of Arms for Jihad already know about that. So that's my self-interested answer as to why I'm fighting this thing. Uh, The highfalutin one is this. Uh, When my children are my age, I want Western civilization still to be in business. And I think right now that is actually highly doubtful. Uh, In support of that proposition, I don't think it helps for people to suggest that America can survive as a lonely beacon of light on a dark planet. 
to accept these thuggish assaults on free speech in Canada, Britain, Europe means to invite a world in which one day they will be under assault here, and one day very soon. Uh, we're part of a global world. We're signatories to global agreements. Uh, we sit on transnational bodies that have increasing influence over American life. So the idea that freedom can be undermined in every other part of the West and survive here is ridiculous. So that's why I'll be in Vancouver uh, for the first of my show trials in June. Uh, if an agency of the Canadian state wants to declare my book a hate crime, they can do it to my face. Uh, my book is about to be published in France, and if some French Muslim lobby group uh, wants to do the same as the Canadian Islamic Congress, I'll defend it in a French court in my lousy Quebecois French, which is a crime under French law, <laughs> uh, and for which I'll probably get 30 years in jail. Uh, but I'm going to do that in every Western jurisdiction where bullies who can't withstand free, honest, open debate decide instead to use the legal system to shut the debate down, to make it unnecessary to have it. The, 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 president, the president often says uh, about Iraq that we're fighting them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. And that's the same with me and these legal jihadists. I'm going to fight them over there because otherwise we're going to be fighting them over here and a lot sooner than you think. Uh, on, on August the 3rd, uh, 1914, on the eve of the Great War, uh, Sir Edward Grey, the British Foreign Secretary, stood at the window of his office in the summer dusk and observed that the lamps are going out all over Europe. Uh, today, the lamps are going out on liberty all over the Western world in a more subtle and elusive and profound way. Uh, the rest of the West doesn't have a First Amendment. Uh, British Commonwealth countries, though, do have robust instruments of freedom going back to Magna Carta. Continental Europe less so, but they are supposedly supporters of things like the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Unfortunately, almost all these countries have gotten way too comfortable with the notion that in free societies it's right and proper for the state to regulate speech. Uh, at the end of her life, Oriana Falacci was being sued in her native Italy, Switzerland, Austria and sundry other jurisdictions by groups who believed her opinions were not merely disagreeable but criminal. In France, Michel Hulbeck was sued by Muslim and other, quote, anti-racist groups who believed opinions held by a fictional character in one of his novels were not merely disagreeable but criminal. In Canada, the official complaint about my flagrant Islamophobia uh, includes my description of plot points from Robert Ferrigno's uh, novel uh, Prez for the Assassin. He begins the novel with this marvellous scene set, set, set at the Super Bowl uh, in the year 2040 in the Islamic Republic of America. And they still have the Super Bowl in 2040 in the Islamic Republic of America, but they have all male cheerleaders. I mention this. I mention this, and the Canadian Islamic Congress puts in its complaint that Stein says that there will be all male cheerleaders at the Super Bowl. And if you think they're idiots for, for not understanding what a plot point of a novel is, what do you make of the Canadian judges who said, oh, yeah, Stein says there's going to be all male cheerleaders at the Super Bowl. We better prosecute him for that. Uh, a novel is a work of fiction. It's a creative art form, and my column that they complained about is a review of a novel. Uh, I wonder how, say, uh, any of your lefty novelists feel about that. Mar Margaret Atwood, a few years ago, 
wrote her own dystopian theocratic fantasy about uh, an America renamed the Republic of Gilead and groaning under the thumb of a Jerry Falwell, Phyllis Schlafly Christian tyranny. What's to stop a Christian uh, group taking a doting reviewer of Margaret Atwood or maybe the author herself, to a human rights kangaroo court. Well, you say Christian groups tend not to do that, which is just as well, because otherwise there'd be nothing left to write about. So just to, just to clarify, in Switzerland, the courts attempted to extradite Oriana Falacci uh, for what she wrote in a non-fiction polemic. In France, the courts dragged a novelist into a dock to interrogate him over the words of one of his fictional characters. In Canada, a human rights pseudo-court has hauled me up before the commissars for having the temerity to mention the plot twists of a futuristic novel. But it gets better. Among the other flagrantly Islamophobic articles the Canadian Islamic Congress took to the Human Rights Commission is my review of a situation comedy. The taxpayer-funded Canadian Muslim sitcom Little Mosque on the Prairie. (laughs) I, uh, I reviewed it. I reviewed it for Maclean's magazine, and I didn't find it very funny, uh, which would be an unexceptional observation, especially with regard to taxpayer-funded CBC sitcoms. But the Canadian Islamic Congress is alleging that I'm homophobic, uh, I'm Islamophobic, I'm Islamophobic for not finding moderate Muslims funny. Uh, when the first trial begins on June the 2nd in British Columbia, I intend to call several Iranian scholars as expert witnesses. You may recall that in one of his final pronouncements, the Ayatollah Khomeini declared that, quote, there are no jokes in Islam, uh, which one would have thought would have been the definitive pronouncement. Uh, but apparently the Canadian Islamic Congress disagrees. Their position is that not finding Muslims funny is no laughing matter. <laughs> and... Uh, And in, and, in, and in this case, the joke's on me. Uh, happily, once the new speech codes are fully implemented and the joke police are in place with the cattle prods to make sure you're laughing at the right times, we won't have to worry ha- about how good the gag is anymore. And every sitcom will be uh, like Seinfeld, a show, about, uh, or a show about nothing, but suddenly a show about nothing funny. I'm a, I'm a small part of a very big picture. Uh, After the London tube bombings and the French riots, we line up to regret that Western Muslims are insufficiently assimilated. But in fact, at least in their mastery of legalisms and victimology, uh, they are superbly assimilated. As we've heard this morning, just about every day of the week, a Muslim lobby group is engaging in something like this uh, somewhere uh, in the Western world. Um, And it's been that way, really, ever since uh, they understood... Uh, when they issued the fatwa against Salman Rushdie nearly 20 years ago now, uh, that in fact the, uh, the state lacked the confidence uh, to see off assaults on freedom of speech and to, f- to defend the right of its citizens to speak up uh, and exercise traditional Western, uh, Western freedoms. Uh, the, there were, uh, a reader reminded me recently of the, of the Muslims who marched through Yorkshire in 1989 calling for Salman Rushdie to be put to death. Uh, and when one of the Yorkshiremen watching this said, this is incitement to murder to the policeman, what are you going to do about it? The policeman told him, push off or I'll arrest you. 
Uh, it's been that way ever since. If you try, not only do they not go after the radical Islamists, but those of us who try to stand up and resist radical Islam are in fact told by Western governments, push off or we'll arrest you. Uh, and that is, the way, that is the way it's gone for too long. The response of the state to explicit Islamic intimidation is to find ways to punish those citizens foolish enough to point out that intimidation. The Council on American-Islamic Relations understands that, and the Islamic Supreme Council of Canada understands that, and so does the Islamic Supreme Council of New South Wales down in Australia. Incidentally, I love all these names. Um, my, uh, my favorite is a group I get press releases from occasionally, the, the, the uh, Islamic Supreme Council of Ireland. Uh, who are actually one of the more moderate Islamic supremacists out there. But the notion of an Islamic Supreme Council on Ireland uh, still gives me a chuckle. It makes you wonder what the, the Protestants and Catholics bothered fighting for all those years. It's, uh, how, how did we get to this state of affairs? Uh, I was re reminded the other day of an observation by Hayward uh, Broon. Uh, a quote, everybody favors free speech in the slack moments when no axes are being ground, unquote. Now, I actually think that gets it exactly backwards because it was precisely at the moment that no axes were being ground that the West decided it could afford to forego free speech. There was a moment 30 or so years ago when it appeared as if all the great questions had been settled. There would be no more Third Reichs, uh, no more fascist regimes, no more anti-Semitism. Advanced social democracies were heading inevitably down a one-way sunlit avenue into the peaceable kingdom of multiculturalism. And so it seemed, uh, to a certain mindset, entirely uh, reasonable to introduce speech codes and thought crimes essentially as a kind of mopping-up operation. Uh, Canada's human rights tribunals were originally created to deal with employment and housing discrimination. But Canadians really aren't terribly hateful people, and there wasn't a lot of that. So they advanced to prosecuting so-called hate speech, uh, an illiberal notion, but one they justified because it was uh, harnessed supposedly in the cause of liberalism. Uh, there were a handful of neo-Nazi losers in rented rooms uh, posting white supremacist messages on unread websites. There were a few holdout groups of homophobic fundamentalist Christians flaunting the more robust passages of Leviticus. Well, relax, we'll... We'll hunt down these basement losers and ensure they'll travel, trouble you no further. They're just a few recalcitrant knuckle-draggers knuckle who decline to get with the beat. Don't give them a thought. Nothing to see here, folks. Uh, Canada's not under any threat from Nazis. Uh, if any white supremacist were really a supremacist, he wouldn't be living in his parents' basement. <laughs> you know... The, 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 the real supremacists are the moral posers fighting, as moral posers often do, phantom enemies. The Nazis are gone. We won that one 60 years ago. So today the phrase human rights has been all but completely inverted. Uh, the, I mentioned the Ontario Human Rights Commission, who, uh, who graciously agreed to cut to the chase and just hand me my conviction. Uh, what, what do they do when they're not, quote, strongly condemning my Islamophobia? They're currently tied up hearing the case of two women who claim they were denied their human right to a labiaplasty by a Toronto plastic surgeon who specializes in that particular area. The women proved to be post-operative transsexuals who were unhappy with the aesthetic results of their transformation. And uh, Dr. Stubbs, the, uh, the surgeon... Uh, <laughs> 
declined, uh, declined, declined to perform the procedure on the grounds that he usually operates on the private parts of biological females, and so he had uh, no idea what he was, so to speak, getting into. Uh, uh, if, you, if, you, uh, if you don't know what a labiaplasty is, uh, don't worry, I'm not going to explain it uh, over dessert. Uh, I'm just relieved the Ontario Human Rights Commission hasn't ordered me to undergo one. Uh, when, when they're not crusading for, for the human right to a transsexual labiaplasty, they're busy supporting, in another current case, the human right to smoke marijuana on another man's property. Now, these pseudo-human rights come at the cost of real human rights. Uh, if, if you want to know uh, what's gone wrong with Western democracy's conception of human rights, it's perfectly distilled by uh, the most assiduous human rights plaintiff we have up there, a guy called Richard Warman. Uh, I used to work at the BBC, and one of my colleagues was a sports anchor called David Icke. Uh, David had a bit of a turn one day, uh, just before, I think, I think it was the uh, 1994 World Cup, which he ended up not actually getting to cover for the BBC, because a couple of weeks beforehand, he called a press conference to announce that he was the son of God. Um, <laughs> shortly thereafter, he concocted a grand conspiracy theory to explain everything that happens anywhere in the world. David believes in a secret world government run by child-abusing Satanist Illuminati, controlled by the Queen and the Bush family, who he says are reptilian humanoids descended from the blood-drinking space lizards of the star system Alpha Draconis. Uh, he claims the late Princess of Wales confirmed to him a week before she died uh, that her husband was a shape-shifting space reptile. Uh, her husband... Uh, her, the, queen, the Queen has never filed a libel suit against David Icke. As far as I know... Uh, she responds to allegations that she's a blood-drinking, shape-shifting space lizard by laughing the socks off her sin sinister reptilian feet. Uh, but that wasn't good enough for our great human rights crusader north of the border, so he filed suit on her behalf and took David Icke to court on the following grounds. Quote, he's taken all the conspiracy theories that have ever existed and melded them together to create an even greater conspiracy theory of his own. What benefit can there be in allowing him to speak, unquote? Remember those words. What benefit can there be in allowing him to speak? A long-time long human rights officer thinks that it's the state's role to, quote, allow citizens to speak if they can demonstrate some, quote, benefit in doing so. With human rights like that, who needs lack of human rights? So the, so the human rights establishment started shutting up neo-Nazis who don't like Jews and fundamentalist Christians who disapprove of gay marriage, and they whiled away the idle moments in between by chastising a few kooks who think Her Majesty the Queen is a giant space lizard. Uh, as I said, it was supposed to be just a bit of mopping up en route to the great multicultural utopia. And at that point, and at that point... Uh, they call it the law of unintended consequences, but the consequences are always obvious. At that point, Islamic lobby groups figured out, hey, if liberals are so eager to police speech, why not let them? Uh, Canada and much of Europe have statutes prohibiting Holocaust denial. Muslim uh, scholars are not impressed by these laws. Quote, nobody can say even one word about the number in the alleged Holocaust, says Sheikh Yusuf al-Karadawi, uh, who was uh, mentioned by Frank Gaffney uh, earlier today. 
Uh, as Frank was saying, he is an impeccably well-connected imam. He's often cited uh, by Western governments as a moderate uh, as a moderate imam. He was invited to speak at a conference spo- uh, sponsored by the British government on, quote, our children, our future. And certainly when it comes to the children, he has their future all mapped out. He's spoken up in favour of child suicide bombers as Islam's big trump card over the Israelis. Whenever, whenever he does that, I always... Uh, I always find myself hearing Maurice Chevalier, uh, thank heaven for little girls. They blow up in the most delightful way. Uh, but he, he has a point. He has a point on Holocaust denial. Quote, nobody can say even one word, even if he is writing an MA or PhD thesis and discussing it scientifically, such claims are not acceptable, unquote. And a savvy imam knows an opening when he sees one. The Jews are protected by laws, notes Mr. Karadawi. We want laws protecting the holy places, the prophets, and Allah's messengers uh, from these insults, unquote. In other words, he wants to use the constraints and free speech imposed by Europe and Canada to protect Jews in order to put much of Islam beyond political debate. Uh, He's got us figured out. The free world is shuffling into a psychological bondage whose chains are of our own making. Uh, the, the British, quote, historian David Irving wound up in an Austrian jail having been convicted of Holocaust denial. It's not unreasonable for Muslims to conclude that if gays and Jews and other Im- approved identities are to be protected groups who can't be offended, why shouldn't they be also? How many roads of inquiry are we prepared to block off in order to be sensitive? And once we've done so, don't complain that there's nothing in the paper about more stuff about Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, who will be the two last non-recognized victim groups in the Western world. You know, Holocaust denial should be ridiculous and contemptible, uh, but not illegal. And if the objection is that hate speech laws would have prevented the rise of Nazism, well, the Weimar Republic had such laws, and it deployed them aggressively against National Socialism, and a fat lot of good it did. Uh, the funniest speech Hitler ever gave. Funniest, funniest. In 1933, in 1933, Adolf Hitler becomes chancellor, and he introduces the Enabling Act, uh, the first step towards restricting uh, certain liberties in Germany. And the Social Democrats pack the Reichstag, and their chairman Otto Wells makes a powerful speech in defence of freedom. And Hitler listened to what he said, and then gave a big smirk and quoted Schiller back at him. Spite kommt ihr, doch ihr kommt, he tittered, which means more or less, you're late arriving, but you got here at last. And then he added, you should have recognized the value of criticism during the years we were in opposition, when our newspapers were forbidden, our meetings were forbidden, and we were forbidden to speak. Those who constrain speech in free societies are always stunned to find that one day the wind has changed direction and those speech constraints are now being used against them. Needless to say, anti-Semitism, oddly enough, despite Canadian hate laws and European Holocaust denial laws, uh, anti-Semitism has exploded in Canada uh, and the European continent in, uh, in recent years. And funnily enough, all these uh, Holocaust denial laws don't seem to be doing anything to reduce it. Mel Brooks, in his great Broadway hit, The Producers, does more to prevent a new Third Reich than any Holocaust <laughs> denial law on the continent of Europe. Uh, we, are, we are now facing uh, a, an absurd situation where we criminalize the la- uh, denying the last Holocaust uh, in a world where uh, the president of Iran plans the next Holocaust 
and gets invited to speak at Columbia. In a world in which masked men march through London streets promising to rain down a new Holocaust in Europe and are given a bodyguard of police officers to help them do so. The more we hedge ourselves in with hate speech regulations, the less we're able to hold any genuinely inquiring discussion on the issues we face. And the, and the angry young men in the streets have figured that out. You don't even need to do a lot of killing and burning and torching anymore because the, 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 we're up against such wimps that just the very hint that we might be planning that uh, will persuade them to preemptively capitulate to you. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance and what the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Canadian Islamic Congress, the Muslim Council of Britain, and all these other groups are trying to do, in effect, is to criminalize vigilance. They want to use the legal system and other routes to circumscribe debate on the great central question of the age, the relationship between Islam and the West. Um, I, uh, I, I uh, do not think that the state is the, uh, is the best arbiter of public discourse. Um, you may recall uh, a fellow called Iqbal Sakrani, who's a Muslim of such exemplary moderation that he was knighted by the Queen. He's the head of the, Sir Iqbal is the head of the Muslim Council of Britain. He was on the BBC and he expressed the view uh, that homosexuality was, quote, immoral, not acceptable, spreads disease, and damaged the very foundations of society, unquote. A gay group complained. And Sir Iqbal was investigated by Scotland Yard's Community Safety Unit, which deals with hate crimes and homophobia. Simultaneously, the magazine of Gala, the Gay and Lesbian Humanist Association, called Islam a, quote, balmy doctrine growing like a cancer and deeply homophobic, unquote. In return, Scotland Yard investigated Gala for Islamophobia. Got that? If a Muslim says that Islam is opposed to homosexuality... He'll be investigated for homophobia, but if a gay guy says Islam is opposed to homosexuality, he'll be investigated for Islamophobia. <laughs> now, as I always say, I am phobophobic. <laughs> I am the world's biggest phobophobe. I have a, I have a great, crippling, paralyzing fear uh, uh, of all these so-called phobias because they encourage the shrinking of public discourse and the expansion of the state as the sole legitimate arbiter of acceptable discourse. And the reality is that no, not all these phobias are equally motivated, uh, if you know what I mean. The one who wins will be the one willing to apply the most muscle. There's another interesting story out of London. Last year, Her Majesty's government passed a law requiring elementary schools to teach kindergartners and other youngsters uh, all about same-sex marriage. You know the kind of books. They have them here. Heather has two mommies. And uh, King and King, in which a handsome prince goes looking for a bride, meets three lovely princesses, but eventually decides to marry one of the princess's brothers, and they reign happily over their magic fairy kingdom together. Um, when, when evangelical Christians object to these books, they're told, you Squaresville daddios need to, need to get out of the way. You need to get with the beat. This is happening. You've got, you got to understand. It's the way of the world. You've got to catch up. Uh, oddly enough, when the Muslim parents at a grade school in Bristol, England, objected to these books, uh, the, uh, the, the, the city council folded like a cheap Bedouin tent in nothing flat and yanked them from the school. Uh, and that is an interesting lesson, not just in the internal contradictions of multiculturalism, uh, but on which side ultimately is likely to win. If it's a choice between Heather has two mommies or Heather has two imams, bet on Heather has two imams. Uh, <laughs> 
or, or uh, Heather has four mommies and a big bearded daddy who's planning to marry her off to her 11-year-old uh, cousin back in the Pakistani village. Uh, that's the way it goes every time. Uh, you know, my, my supposedly Islamophobic book, it isn't really about Islam, it's about us. And the single most important line in it isn't by me. It's a famous observation by his, the historian Arnold Toynbee. Quote, civilizations die from suicide, not murder. And one manifestation of that suicidal urge is the willingness of ministers, judges, police agencies, social workers, and other officers of the state to make common cause with an ideology explicitly committed to overturning the liberal utopia they claim to be working for. Up north, the Ontario Federation of Labour decided to support the Canadian Islamic Congress. As Terry Downey of the OFL primly explained, quote, there is proper conduct that everyone has to follow, unquote. And her union clearly feels my article is way beyond the bounds of that proper conduct. Don't, under, don't ask me why. I don't pretend to understand the peculiar psychological impulses that would lead the OFL to throw its lot in with uh, Dr. Mohammed El Masri, the openly, cheerfully, explicitly Judeophobic, homophobic, misogynist head of the Canadian Islamic Congress. But there seems to be some kind of uh, kinky uh, competition among the Western left to be, uh, metaphorically speaking, Islam's first lead prison bitch. Uh, if, <laughs> if you don't believe in free speech for speech you loathe, you don't believe in free speech at all. And our sedated, happy-faced multiculturalists need to grow up and recognize the dangers in forcing public discourse into the shadows. For Rachel Ehrenfeld and Ezra Levant and others, the punishment is not the verdict but the process. Uh, as Claudia alluded to earlier, the months of time-consuming distractions and legal bills that make it easier for publishers and editors to shrug, you know, maybe we don't need a report on creeping Sharia or terrorist funding or Saudi subversion after all. How about we do the Lindsay Lohan Guide to Celebrity Carjacking one more time? And on and on it goes. Australian publishers decline novels and certain sensitive subjects. British editors insist books are vacuumed of anything likely to attract the eye of wealthy Saudis who happen to have a flat in Mayfair. These are the books we will never read, the plays we will never see, the movies that will never be made. Uh, to reprise Sir Edward Gray, uh, when it comes to free speech on the critical issues of the age, the lamps are going out all over the world. One distributor, one publisher, one silence novelist, one cartoonist in hiding, one sued radio host, one murdered film director at a time. It's time to stop it and to reverse it and to relight the lights of liberty. Thank you very much. Uh, I've no idea what that uh, that giant noise was. I think that's the, uh, the the Canadian Islamic Congress just blowing me a giant raspberry from uh, <laughs> north of the 49th parallel somewhere. Thank you very much. I'm I'm happy to take a, a few uh, a few questions. Uh, so if you if you've got a question, I'd be delighted to hear it. Yes, over there. Almost total uh, freedom. That even in the uh, 
you know, that even in the early 20th century, early mid 20th century, um, the, the rest of the English speaking world has had libel and slander laws that could be used by public figures to muzzle speech and, as you say, use the process to, to stifle it. And is it not true that the continent really has only had free speech at the point of a gun, meaning the U.S. Uh, post World War II occupation? Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly true that in continental Europe there isn't a, a big uh, tradition of, of free speech. And, and Stanley was talking earlier about Britain's 19th century libel laws, which do seriously favor the plaintiff. Canada's fall somewhere between, uh, between Britain's and America's. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they, were, they were coercive uh, in certain ways. Uh, for example, there's famous, the famous case in the early 1960s over D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's lover. And the, uh, the, the prosecuting judge, prosecuting the guy trying to bring out Lady Chatterley's lover, uh, said, would you want your servants to read that book? And we mock that now as, as a kind of ludicrous, archaic <coughs> argument uh, that, the, that the British establishment was making to justify its last claims uh, to censor uh, what the British public read. I think there's a difference, though. Those guys understood that they were, they, were, uh, they were constraining the public's right to certain information, certain books and whatnot, uh, in, the interests of, uh, in the interests of a kind of majority British culture. What we are doing now is explicitly denying our own culture, our own inheritance, and serving as the dupes, as the classic useful idiots, uh, for, 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 uh, for, for something that is, advances deeper and deeper into our society and is explicitly at war uh, with those cultures. So if you say that it's uh, part of traditional British culture to be relatively comfortable with censorship and part of uh, traditional Canadian culture, you're right to a degree. But it's, it is entirely new and foreign to them uh, for those laws now to be used in effect to, uh, to advance a kind of foreign occupation of those countries, which is what's happening. Uh, yeah, and I'll take uh, another question from, uh, from here. Yeah, gentlemen. Have there been any surveys showing um, what the popularity is in Canada or Europe of these hate speech laws? Well, you know, the, minute, the, the problem Ezra and I, Ezra is, an, as you heard, he's an excitable fellow. Where is Ezra? Where is he? <laughs> Just before. Oh, there he is. He's an excitable, he's an excitable combustible fellow. He's like, he's like uh, one of those shower units that goes from, you switch it on and it goes straight to scalding and your flesh is melting off you. Ezra, Ezra, Ezra tends to go nuclear. And, uh, and it was very interesting to me when we ran in our, to our difficulties four, four months ago. Uh, and in the first few weeks, people said, oh, like... Uh, Stein and Levant, they're carrying on like a couple of crazies. They've gone nuclear. They're attacking everybody and everything. Uh, this is just so un-Canadian. Canadians are reasonable, moderate people. Of course they believe in free speech, but it's a question of where you draw the line, striking a balance, drawing lines, striking balances. That's what we Canadians do. We're not, like, we're not crazy psycho guys like this Levant fella from the prairies. And what happened, what happened was that uh, Ezra and I going nuclear in those first uh, four, six weeks dragged the debate 
Uh, and uh, we gave those human rights commissions the worst, uh, the worst four months of publicity they've had in their life, and we shifted the debate. The debate now is whether those human rights commissions uh, can retain any function at all, and they can get away with just getting rid of Section 13 hate speech things, or whether they've now been completely discredited. Uh, we've been supported by a Liberal Member of Parliament. We've been supported by Penn Canada, which is all those ghastly, unreadable lefty novelists. Uh, I, I beg your pardon, I take back unreadable. Go and support them. They're doing the right thing. Buy, buy your friends and family unreadable Canadian novelists every birthday and Christmas. Uh, they need encouragement. Um, and, uh, and even Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky came out in favour of uh, Ezra Levant and, and me. We shifted the, we shifted the debate. Um, and, uh, and, and right now, those human, rights, those human rights commissions have no defenders except for people who are in their current employ. Or you, you, Whenever you read a, a thing in the newspaper by up there, there's one today. Uh, in, I think it's in the Montreal Gazette. And at the end of it, it says, Pearl Eliadis uh, was a former member of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Everybody who speaks up for them is a current or former member of the racket. They're living high off the human rights hog. Uh, and otherwise, uh, that, that, that uh, racket has, has increasingly few defenders uh, in Canada. Yes, the gentleman over there. Uh, sir, uh, this has been a marvelous presentation. You are spectacular. And we go, we, go forth. we go forth from here at about 5 o'clock. What are the three most important things that each one of us can do here to carry out your vision, your hope for the world of the future? Well, I think, I think, the, first thing, uh, you, I think the first thing you can do uh, is actually uh, to make the point that has been made uh, in this room, that America has, has enjoyed, uh, since the early 18th century, a, a unique level of public expression. And it happens to be the dominant superpower in the world today. I love the way all people, people around the world are always anti-American. The French are always writing these, uh, writing these uh, articles about everything that's wrong with America. And I always say, oh, yeah. That's why it's so uh, militarily backward, uh, culturally inconsequential, technologically irrelevant. You know, uh, the, the fact is, I don't think America's success is unconnected from the way if you liberate speech, you liberate ideas, and if you liberate ideas, you liberate the human potential of your people. Uh, and so Americans need to do more than ex export cheeseburgers and Starbucks uh, uh, hazelnut vanilla Eurasian milfoil cappuccinos around the greater wonderful as that is there's cheeseburger imperialism is insufficient you need to you need to export critical American ideas you also need you, uh, you also need uh, to make sure that every time a publisher such as the Cambridge University Press uh, caves in a foreign jurisdiction that it pays a price here in other words, that there's a big, that there's damage, real damage done to their reputation in being seen to be pushovers for Saudi bullies. You've got to, you, so you've got, you've got to make it not worth their while to cave in foreign jurisdictions. And then I think the other thing we have to do is a clear plan of action uh, to roll it up backwards from the, from the trajectory Ezra started, to start in America, uh, roll it back in, uh, in Canada with these human rights commissions, get British libel law changed, get the European Union, uh, which it will be the biggest challenge of all, uh, to, uh, to get rid of some of these anti-xenophobia laws 
and the and the Holocaust uh, denial laws. It's going to it's going to be a long term project, but the reality is eventually all this stuff, like some overflowing septic tank, uh, is not going to be contained in the rest of the West. It'll seep here too. So that's that. that rolling it back is critically important. I think yep. Time for one more question. Okay. Let's uh, take the gentleman in the back. Uh, given the Yeah, I think I think you're you're right there. I was talking to a Dartmouth College student a couple of weeks ago, and she asked me about my case up in Canada. And at the end of it, she said, "Wow," she said, "the whole of Canada sounds like one American college campus." <laughs> and I didn't know uh, which of us that was more insulting to. Uh, I. Uh, I think there's a real danger. I think, I think all three of the presidential candidates, and I assume there'll be one less by the time we get to November, though you don't know the way things are going. <laughs> but right now, all three of the presidential candidates are very comfortable with the idea of acceptable parameters of speech. Uh, and, and politicians are. You know, we were talking about the difficulty of applying pressure to politicians. In part, it's because they live in the most absurdly defined world. This, uh, we've just seen Obama piously fire somebody from his campaign because this person, nothing to do with anything the, the, uh, the, the offending hate speecher said on TV or radio or, or to a newspaper reporter, it was something uh, the person said in their backyard to the neighbor's kids, said, hey, get down, you little monkey. And because the kids happened to be black, uh, the, uh, the, the word monkey was ruled hate speech, and, and, the, uh, and the Obama aide gets fired from the campaign, and, uh, and everyone's going out to giving statements. Well, you know, I, I applaud uh, Senator Obama for taking firm and decisive action uh, against, the, uh, against the woman who told the kid in the tree to stop being a little monkey. That's the kind of toughness that's going to have Ahmadinejad quaking in his boots. Yeah. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Uh, why should we be surprised that politicians don't defend free speech when they've developed some absurd language of their own? You know, politicians need to stop monkeying around like a bunch of monkeys and come down from the trees and speak real English again. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much.